Hello everyone. My name is Saliha Wazirzada. I'm a filmmaker on a spiritual journey. In these podcasts, I will be talking to people from various industries, backgrounds, and experiences. And together with you, we will dig deeper into their spiritual connection with their own being or with their own soul. We'll be sharing stories of people from various backgrounds by plunging deeper into their soul connection and get them up close and personal so they can feel comfortable to share their inner stories. Furthermore, the idea is to have a soul reconnection space where people can understand the common thread binding all humanity for we are spiritual beings first. Welcome to the 17th episode of the Untold Story Told. Today we're joined in by Shahana Jan. Shahana is an actor and director hailing from Islamabad, Pakistan and currently living in Philadelphia. She's an amazing content creator and her works can be seen all across Instagram. Today we get to know her a little bit more up close and personal. Get to know her and know all about what she's up to and where she's going. So, let's listen to her and see what she has to say today. Hello Shahana, how are you today? Alive. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I always say in 2020 if you can say you're alive that's 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 exactly right and that's exactly what it can and should be. Um yeah, so that's what I answer with normally. That's good to hear. Um Shahana tell me um what's happening these days? You're doing so much. I can see it on the Instagram, so many stories and people loving it all. What's happening? I guess the the quick answer is not a lot because i know it feels like there's a lot going on but you have to understand like in my personal life it i'm creating so much because of the fact that everything else is pretty much on standstill like you know that's that's the flip side of this crazy time in the world where um because our lives are are in some form on hold we have to find other things so it's it's like it's there's pros and cons to this situation so um in my in my personal and professional life everything is i mean my personal life is pretty much just you know my husband and i at home um you know my family lives nearby but i don't get to see them very often because of i mean i live in the us and you can you know what covid is like right here um and professionally i mean i basically pay my bills by doing a number of jobs um i um i'm a part of a filmmaking collective where we basically create filmmaking programs for the youth of philadelphia where i live um i taught for many years and now i just do strictly program management um which we've been able to do online um so virtual classes which has been great because i get to get paid and stay home um but other than that um i get hired to do a lot of graphic design gigs. I taught myself to do graphic design and I got hired to do a lot of that last year. Um and then I edit. I work as an editor. Um sometimes I'll get hired as a cinematographer. Um oh, wow. I'm kind of so I'm kind of selective about that to be honest, but like 
I do get hired to do music videos and things like that. I do get hired sometimes to direct, but I'm extra selective. If I was selective about cinematography, I'm extra selective about directing because uh, I just learned very quickly that you can work with the producer and the writer, but um, if you're, the story is shit, then <laughs> it's a quick gig. But like when, when it comes to film, Hmm. a lot rides on the reputation of the director and if you have a history of creating or filming hmm. poorly written poorly written films it just will be remembered that you directed that so yeah. I'm, I, I, I only really direct when I think that I found something that is interesting or quirky or um, just something I hold dear um, hmm. so those are the main uh, I guess, bill paying things. Um, other than that, I moved to America officially in 2016. I studied here in 2014. Um, and I decided I wanted to pursue um, a career as an actor here. Um, and that is like, everyone just presumes that you get here and you get known and you know, you just, you'll, you'll sign an agent, nothing like that happens. Um, it's, it's a process. You have to get trained as an actor. They take it very seriously. So I got trained in 2014. Then after that in, um, I'd say 2018, I did another acting program, which was for the business of acting, um, which led me to eventually signing with my agent and up until COVID I was auditioning all the time for major, um, network you know everything from hulu to netflix to you know all the usuals um to films even and then COVID happened the industry is now picking up again like i actually had an audition for the first time in a really long time um this past week actually it was it was it was for a uh tv show um that's a new tv show and uh that was really nice and surprising at the same time because it was like oh it's great to know that the industry is actually reopening but it's reopening in a very uh, careful regimented way as you can imagine so so I, again like while i'm not able to do a lot of things physically in a professional space um it's led me to be able to kind of make the most of what i can do and that's just kind of create online and that's I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm giving off the impression that I'm super busy with that. I don't know how true that is because I mean, personally, I just kind of feel like I have like a checklist of ideas and I let myself get to them when I feel like them, you know, I'm like I'll, I'll wake up one week and I'll be like, yeah, this would be an interesting video to put out this week. Most of the ideas I've written ages ago, it's just a matter of getting to them. That's so interesting, Shahana. Like um, you're you're so young and you have this this will, this drive that keeps you going every single day. Um, and that's so important to learn from. I mean, this whole uh, creating and everything, just you know, working at your own pace, and then also wanting to share your ideas and making you know, it's as I said about the drive and will. That's what. Uh, you know, most people lack and it's, it's something that uh, people look at and, you know, um, and there's a whole, um, when, especially when you're young, uh, to have that idea that you have the rest of your life to do everything just can, you know, keep you at a place that way you don't grow. But the way you are looking at every single day, the way you're saying it is just grow, 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 and evolve, 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 right? And you're also human, right? You must be having your points where you think about the sad things in your life or anything that brings you down. Or some days are just not, as you said, 
shit, right? Yeah. So, so, so it's just accepting everything that happens in your day and still making it happen, like showing up, doing it any way, right? And that's what I love about you, this drive. I mean, I guess like, I mean, first of all, I don't feel young. I'm 32. So I just feel like, I feel like, you I'm know, seven, so. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it's like a mix. I definitely feel like the thirties, um, it's a mix of things because I feel like definitely the thirties are now being viewed as the twenties because, mm-hmm. um, the twenties honestly just, you know, I guess the world has changed. Maybe it's the millennial, um, lens of things but you know the 20s definitely feel like they were just a a barrage of experiences just one thing after the next and the 30s are really it's like now now I don't have much of an excuse for not being an adult you know (laughs) it's like no no now you're an official you're an official adult but um it's been freeing at the same time because it finally allowed me to Mm. honestly just stop giving a shit Mm. about Mm. what I am or not and I don't really live I had it you know it took me a lot of time to just get past a lot of insecurities Mm. um Mm. I think that the ultimate thing is is that (laughs) it 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 just doesn't matter I, I always try to tell myself that in a world and this is you know pre-covid even I, i'd always tell myself like in a world where people die every day i'm still waking up and if i'm still waking up there you know there's got to be a reason to wake up and so it's just kind of like what do you have to lose really um because i mean i i honestly the point of i guess being tired uh, when I moved to the U.S. because I felt like in Pakistan, I'd, I'd started working professionally when I was 16. So I started working really early because um, I didn't go to college. Um, I couldn't afford to. And I, I got a full-time job and I was doing the theater and the radio and all that. Um, so I just felt like I was doing that for a really long time. And I guess I never really lost. Um, I always had my eye on the prize. I always knew that I I had, I've, oh, I mean, people ask me, what does it take to do what you do? And I mm-hmm. always say, it's, you've got to have a little bit of delusion. You have to be a little bit delusional because mm-hmm. we as human beings are too afraid of, mm-hmm. of the possibility of things mm-hmm. that I think you have to commit a little bit to being a little delusional and go like, yeah. I believe in a dream that's so big that otherwise people would tell me it's not achievable, yes. you know, and I have to commit to that dream a little bit in order to commit to that dream a little bit. You have to tell yourself, yeah, it's totally possible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I have to, and I, and I just stick to that. Um, I'm also, a bit, I'm very melancholic and a fan of nostalgia in general. And um, mm-hmm. I always like, I, you know, people ask me like, what, what's one of the biggest reasons you do what you do? And I said, it's really because of the, the kid I was, yeah. you know, because I feel like I owe it to her, mm. you know, mm. to the child that had the dreams that she did, you know? I was going to get to that. I could sense that coming. Go on. Go yeah, on. because I just feel like as a child growing up the way I did, I, I always wanted to be like, I always had this image of myself when I was younger. Mm. Um, 
of being like this strong, empowered, successful woman. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had it down to like mm-hmm. the way I looked, what my hair was like, mm-hmm. um, what was happening in my world. Mm-hmm. And when you're a child, you know, and especially, you know, depending on the circumstances that you come from, like a lot mm-hmm. of these things just seem mm-hmm. unachievable, but the imagination of a child is a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really believe mm-hmm. that the things that I have gone on to do mm-hmm. is because of the imagination of the child that I was, because she imagined it. Yes. So it's like, I ended up doing a lot of the things that she imagined because she imagined them so viscerally, you know, yeah, like manifested everything that's happening for you. So now. far. Yeah. Yeah, it so came naturally. Like it was your ability. Yeah. And maybe it came from your mother, grandmother, ancestrally. And you never possibly, know. you yeah. don't know where these things come from, but I just think that like, I, I don't, ultimately like i want to be able to just live up to whatever that girl imagined for you know me i feel like i owe it to that person more than anybody else um and i always used to muse around the idea that you know if i ever were to have children i want to be able to do so many things honestly just so i can tell them like that i lived an interesting life you know Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing to do because, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I've just always been an, I, I think I've just really been, I, I had a very problematic, um, dysfunctional home growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my parents were always at, mm-hmm. you know, odds with each other, um, mm-hmm. on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, my father had an alcohol problem. Um, he was an atheist. My mom was the flip side. She was extremely religious. And honestly, I don't, I don't begrudge atheists at all. Mm. I just think that these are two people who shouldn't have been together, you know? And I think because of that, there was obviously a lot of problems in my household. And so I think that's another reason why as a child, I was often escaping into my imagination to kind of get away from the shit that, I, that was happening at home. Mm. And I think that was also this idea of like, I wanted to grow up to be so strong that I wasn't um dependent or i wasn't weak or nobody could take advantage of me so i mean there's a lot of things that come into play when you're talking about childhood trauma Mm. but um Mm. i think that i think these are the things Mm. that kind of make you who you are um and i one thing i think anybody in any industry will tell you is especially in the creative field yes talent is one thing but Talent without ambition and drive and self-discipline is nothing, you know, because you can be talented, again, you can be talented and lucky and land a job, right? Because somebody saw your work and they were like, ah, this person's really talented, but that's luck, right? Because somebody, somebody in your circle knew somebody who was connected and got you a job, great. But if you want to be successful, especially in a country like the U.S., where there's for every amazing guitarist that you that that we know there are 10 in new york city on the streets you know it's like uh ambition and drive is everything it's like it's showing up it's being uh even as an actor like um i've taken classes with many casting directors and i and i like i said i had an audition just the other day care more about you um getting in your audition on time early preferably your self-tape 
and they want it to be filmed well they want the audio to be great like they just want to know that you were professional and slick oh. so it's not even about your performance as much as as it is about just delivering oh. a clean product you know so that's that's i think like i've been i think i'm just a mixture of a lot of different things um yeah I, I loved how you how you said that it's not just it's luck is something that happens but then it's ambition and drive and self-discipline that gets you there because because I, I I've had my own personal experience in that and um uh for me when lucky things used to happen as you get so mystified by them like the idea of like how did this happen that i that even just the magic of the reasons why it could have been aligned up for me and how i went through such such amazing thing that made me feel good which made my heart feel like it was singing things like that i would when i was younger i would obsess over that magic so much that i yeah. didn't know what to go what to do next and i've learned through life to have for me personally i always work well when i have a mentor or someone that i can talk to or somebody who just hold, nudges me and says you can do this but just mm -hmm. go there or just go there rather than mm -hmm. literally telling you what to do but then being there when you look at their eyes they're like yeah, yeah you're doing well just keep going so oh, yeah. for me a mentor has been so important and once i have um you know now that i have those people in my life uh, it's become much more um interesting to understand that these all people all these people are driven all these people are self-disciplined all these people want you to be you know good at where you are and then you all push each other so i love this human drive that we've all uh created on ig and like it's just happened right i mean for you also uh you started with this whole thing starting it as an acting thing and then you put, brought in all other pieces of you right so yeah but, yeah and do you have a mentor too is what i wanted to ask you I mean, I did. I definitely feel like I've had serious mentors in my life, but my mentors, I guess, one of them was was more, um, I guess, I want to say like driven and pushy in that way. Hmm. Um, like she was a lot more, you know, these are the goals. This is how you get there. She yeah. she would be the one that was like, if I was procrastinating, procrastinating, she was pushing me, okay. you know. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I, I mean you know her that was poppy you know it's like yes um poppy was the force of nature in my life and i met her at a very uh pivotal time i was 22 mm -hmm. um and she suddenly made me like one thing i will always be now that i'm 32 i'm baffled by the fact that she did this wow. but like i was 22 years old and she made me the deputy director of an entire community space and then she just went off to London and she was like, you handle it. And I was like the boss of people who were older than me. And, you know, uh, so like the flip, the, the thing about that is that not only did she have the faith in me to run this organization, but yeah. she also challenged me to get my shit together, you know, because at 22, you're like, okay, I don't know. Okay. I guess I need to now run this space. Mm -hmm. So she was the person in my life who really taught me to just be organized and driven and focused in that way. Um, whilst also just being very openly kind. Like I still don't think I have what she had. Um, I always 
was enamored with her for it because she had this ex she exuded warmth and she used to tell me this all the time because i know that i don't i know that like i don't walk into a room and i'm not one of those extremely um warm chirpy people i'm very actually internal as a person and I'm actually very sarcastic as a human being. So that's my way of breaking the ice with people. Um, but Poppy is one of those, she's like, you know, she, she's just got this energy when you meet her and it's, it's, it's very difficult. Like you, you can't, you, you sense it, you feel it, you know it. Yes. Um, yeah. And so like, I always wanted to find a way to one day become that person. And I definitely think that I'm still not there. I don't know if I ever will be, but I always really admired that about her. So she was a huge, I think it was one of the first times in my life where uh, an adult um, who was completely unrelated to me just had this much faith in me. I don't think I've ever met somebody who's had the amount of faith in me that Poppy had. And like I said, it happened at such a young age for me that it transformed everything for me in terms of um, who I was and who I wanted to be. Um, after that, I think it was my, my second mentor who, you know, I, again, like if Poppy was pretty much, my mentors become like family to me. So Poppy was very much family to me. And then I guess the second mentor to me is, is Ruhail. Um, I worked with Ruhail on season six of Coke studio and then on season uh, 12, actually remotely recently. Um, and Ruhail also has become basically family to me, but what I, what Ruhail taught me was, very different from what Poppy taught me. Rahel, um, because he's a musician and he's a he's a music producer, I think prior to Coke Studio, I, I didn't really know too much. I had an appreciation for music, but I obviously didn't know too much about, um, I guess, the intricacies of Eastern classical and traditional music um, and the spirituality, honestly, behind Eastern classical music or that realm overall. Um, I wasn't, I, I think that I was always just a, I was, a, I'm, I'm like an accidental spiritual person. You know, I was stumbling upon spiritual things by, through life experiences. And when I would share my thoughts with spiritual people who are actually spiritual, they would be like, how do you know about this? And I'd be like, cause I don't know. I just live through life. And they'd be like, this stuff is in books. How do you know about this? And I'd be like, I just got to it myself. That's why I always say I'm like an accidental spiritualist. It's just life was opening those doors, nothing else. But I think that's kind of what happened with Rohail. Like we really bonded on that because um, he obviously as a musician and the kind of music he works on, it, it he lives in that realm of spirituality. He just, that's just his, that's who he is. Um, and uh so working with him really kind of opened up that side for me. And then as a professional, I mean, Coke Studio was probably in, in Pakistan, the most professional production I've worked on. Yes. Um, Rohail, what I've learned from him as a professional mm -hmm. is the fact that he is methodical to the nth degree. He is not a removed boss, you know? Um, he is the kind of person that will spend hours late at night working on something himself. He will not be laissez-faire about it. Um, it's, it's not one of those situations where everybody else is um, doing all the work, but the boss is just laying back and chilling out. And it's not like that. Rahel is heavily involved. 
Um, and so his his work ethic is very methodical and professional in that way. But I mean, and this is something that anybody that's worked with Rohail, um, there's like, you can recognize it. Uh, people have actually told us this, specifically in Karachi, yeah. that that there's a there's a signature style that Rohail has that anybody that's worked with him kind of embodies. So when we go off to work with other people, they all kind of can tell, oh, they've worked with Rohail, you know, because... The, the, our, the way we always say we, we've gotten this ethic from him and the ethic basically I guess if I had to summarize it it's it's the fact that we're extremely professional but we're also extremely kind you know because that's what Rohail is like he's extremely kind he doesn't get in into any gray waters you know especially like in the industry in Pakistan where everybody's trying to find Jugard here Rohail doesn't do anything and anybody who's worked with him also doesn't and they never, yeah. um, one, one thing Rahil is known for, and again, we've all kind of accepted and embodied it, is the fact that no one is beneath us. No one. Mm-hmm. Anyone on set is, we're all at the same level. It's not about you're the director, you're the, everybody's on the same level. And there's a, there's a feeling of mutual respect that, um, and honor and just collaborativeness, you know, or collaboration in general. I think those are definitely things um, so yeah, I think again, mentors are people that really, yeah, they they I mean they leave an imprint. You know, they leave a serious mark, and they've fed you. They fed whether it's your, uh, whether it's them feeding your soul or their your heart or your brain. Like I definitely feel like these two people have left that mark on me, and I I will always um, hold them in in the highest regard possible for what they've been able to do to enrich my life. Definitely. I've met Poppy myself and one of the most iconic times of my life have been because you and Poppy were in the same room and whatever happened, whoever said whatever, I was then sitting next to one of my most uh, favorite uh, spiritual singers, Adi Bazhar, and I was singing next to him and then I had my film playing uh, in Kuchkhas. So you've been very pivotal in the create, creation of uh, Kuchkhas, which is a very, uh, you know, well-known creative hub in Islamabad. So, uh, so I've seen you through these little phases, little windows of your life. And I, I always remembered your face. And uh, you, you're also very good friends with my cousins. So that's why, like, um, always... Yeah, always actually, they went to school with me. Sana yeah. and Saladin, Jalaluddin, they all went to school with me. So Sana was... A year junior to me, Salahuddin was two years junior to me, and Jalaluddin, I think, was in my little sister's grade. Yeah. So yeah, and and, and that's honestly like, and obviously Sonia Auntie is just amazing. Um, she, we've known her like obviously she used to come to school every day to pick up the kids, but she used to just again also extremely warm person. I I don't, I wish I I had that quality. I really don't, but like, hmm. yeah. It's, she walks in and she just it's just everywhere around her um yeah 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 it's like she's one of those few people growing up that you were like oh yeah there's actually just warm good people in the world you know 
Yeah, yeah. And it's so good that we have these kind of people around us, you know, like she's my khala, but then you have experienced her as, uh, like she's my aunt, but you've experienced yeah. her as a person in your life, you know, the way it is. So it's, as you said, it's the family we make rather than the actual yeah. family we have, your, your human tribe, how you grow and the people that grow you, right? And and I, I loved how you spoke about Ruhel Hayat. I always had that feeling about him because, you know, I'm also very much into music and I really go into the depth of things like how they must have created this and what happened. So I always felt that it has to be that edge that, you know, that not just spirituality, but like the way he conducts everything. And my cousin Atnan has also worked very close with him. As you said, when, when he works Adieu. with um, Malik? Oh, right, right. Of yeah. course. How could I forget? <laughs> yes. yes. Adnan uh, Emmett. I remember Adnan because like, again, the first time I met him was when he came to Kuchikas for his film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've stayed in touch. And then, yeah, he did work. Um, I was there actually yeah. when he was working on the documentary. Um, so, yeah. Yes, he told me. Definitely. Yeah, so awesome. It's so important to have these mentors, these coaches, these people who we can hang on to uh, when you're growing up, because then we can pass it on to others too, right? It's all about give and take. And it's also just, I mean, maybe, again, like there's so many factors why we come across these people, you know, it's also just, it's a mixture between the places you put yourself in and also this is where luck comes into play because a lot of people don't actually have the luxury of finding great mentors. You know, a lot of people actually go through their entire lives without finding people who believe in them and want to invest in them and want to help them grow, you know. Um, so it's, it's a mixture between luck and also just putting yourself out there, you know. So what would you say was like the uh, biggest uh, challenges or struggles do you think during your life, like if you could come down to uh, a place where that shifted your reality like that, that's what moved you, that's what got you to think more deeply like about what you always wanted to do? Well, I guess when I was a kid, I moved to America when I was one and then I was in America till I was around like eight, nine. Um, and there was a community Christmas play happening. Hmm. And uh, my parents sent us off to go to do the community play. It was just like one something at the rec center. And, um, you know, they were just on the spot, you know, they were just kind of announcing roles, you know, they were like, okay, who wants to be this? And all the kids are like raising their hands, you know, who, this character, that character. And, and kids were being very selective. They were like, I want to be this and I want to be that. Um, and uh, they kept announcing the roles. And uh, I, I, I basically raised my hand like for every single role. Like I didn't care. I just wanted anything. And they were at the very last role and I shot my hand up again and uh then the 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 coordinator she's like okay you 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 there there yeah yeah you come do it and I was like okay and she's like do you know do you want to know why I picked you and I said why and she said because you raised your hand for every single role every single time and you just I could tell that you were willing to do anything and just you wanted it so bad and I remember feeling really cool after that. I was, I, I, I had, it was just, again, it was a Christmas play and I got to pay, and I got to play Merlin the wizard. And I felt really cool because my siblings were just peasants in the background and it made me feel super cool. Cause I was like, ha, suckers, I got to do this. Um, I think like the, 
the drive to perform kind of started then because I just enjoyed it so much. Performing for me, like I always say, because I obviously am a storyteller and I direct and things like that. And people often ask me like, if you had to pick which one would it be? And I always say like, performing for me is gratifying to me. Like I, I get more from it than you do, okay? directing and storytelling you get more from it than i do right mm -hmm. so for when i'm directing or st storytelling i'm coming to it with the thing of i'm giving you something mm -hmm. i'm writing and i'm giving you uh, a layer into someone else's experience but when i'm performing it's more about what am i going through well how am i coming to life you know um so I've always felt like that. I think that all of these things started coming to me very naturally at a very young age. I started writing very early on um, and being recognized for my writing at a very young age when I just, I, I, I didn't really see it. Like I wrote a story in school that ended up going to a writer's convention and I was so shy, I didn't want to go, you know? And I, my teacher, I actually lied to my mom and I said that, oh, uh, it's not a big deal and uh, I, you know, I don't really care about this. And then I skipped school the day of the convention. Um, it was an all state thing. And then my teacher called my mom and she said, oh, is she going or not? And then my mom came to me and she said, I hear there's this writer's convention you're supposed to go to. And I was like, I don't wanna go. And then she's like, why don't we just try it? And then she actually drove me. And then obviously if she's gonna drive me all the way I had to get out and then walk in and you know I was suddenly in just these different rooms you basically go to different rooms and every room hmm. there's their writer circles and like the people and these were people who were much older than me they already had copies of my story and so then they're all reading it and asking me questions and yeah, yeah I just remember being really embarrassed the whole time but yeah. writing I think and storytelling has always been something that's just it's come to me innately and it's come to me naturally. Um, yeah. And I, it's just interesting because I kind of grew up thinking that these things were a given, mm. you know? Mm. I kind of thought that everybody can do this, but mm. the older I get, I realize a lot of people can't. And, I th and it's honestly after doing, recently I did a trauma-informed practice training or for for teaching artists so if you're a teaching artist specifically because we live in the realm of art and we're trying to teach art we have to understand that when students come in and we're asking them to be artistic we're not asking them to be artistic we're asking them to be vulnerable and yeah. students come in with their baggage we and a lot of students actually really struggle to yeah. articulate their vulnerabilities Yes. So trauma-informed practice basically and it equips you as an educator, as a teaching artist, to see the signs and know how to deal with your students um, mm -hmm. and bring out the best of their creativity mm -hmm. without causing PTSD, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. or, and it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent in the U.S. where if you are an educator, um, specifically for the arts, if you are an educator for the arts, then, you know, it's preferred that you're certified you know so now i'm certified i can i know how to deal yeah. with students in, in that capacity but it it yeah. the it taught me because you had there's a component of the training which is obviously diving into psychology and understanding the way our brains function from the age from the day we're born to the day you're seven years old and how much of that is actually uh, very pivotal to the person you're going to become later on um, 
And I think that really, I often joke that like I went and I did this training to learn how to help other people, but it actually helped me because I realized um, just how much personal trauma I've had, mm. you know, and it teaches you to be a lot more forgiving of yourself, mm. you know, um, yeah. and it teaches you that while one might assume or one might ask like doesn't everybody respond this way doesn't every no it's because everybody's circumstances have made them uniquely different um a lot of people and that's what i often say about storytelling and that's one of the that's one of the things that brings me absolute joy about the art form of storytelling or or not just or any art form really because i believe every art form is a form of storytelling yes anything you do is a form of storytelling whether it's a painting or whether it's a song uh it's a way of it's a give and take um and i i've always said this that the beauty of art is in the fact that it is an exchange uh by creating something i am giving something of myself that is vulnerable and real and in a way for me to express and rid myself of a burden and you as the audience or the viewer you are receiving something that you might deeply resonate with but a lot of times because of the backgrounds and families and worlds we come from we don't know how to articulate our own feelings we just don't we just don't know in fact, most of us that have experienced any form of trauma, and 90% of us have, there are very few who have had perfect childhoods or, or perfect situations. Maybe the average um, cisgender white person maybe has had the perfect life, but, yeah. but most people haven't. And um, a lot of times people, when they read stories or when they see art or you see a film and you relate to a character, a lot of times watching a story play out will give you a sense of catharsis that you otherwise don't have access to in your life in your own life right. because you will not feel the resolution with the problematic father in your real life for some reason right because you can't control that you can't control the human beings in your life but mm. if you see something mm. similar in a film or you read it in a story it might allow you to personally reach a point of catharsis that we don't have the luxury of having in our in our real lives. We just don't. And because of the trauma that we've experienced or because of the damage that's happened or the lives we've lived or the journeys we've led, mm-hmm. a lot of times we ourselves don't have the vocabulary. We don't have the tools because we haven't developed them. You know, just general in terms of neuroplasticity, we've walked certain paths our entire lives and our brain will go there because it is the only way for us to cope and survive. And and when it comes to biology, we just wanna survive. So our brains have found ways to cope with anything that might potentially send us into panic or or distress, you know, and it will shut it down, you know? So because we don't know how to cope with our own selves and most people, I definitely, again, I, 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 growing up, I thought a lot of these things were matter of fact. I thought they were just common sense and they were, 
face. But now, like I said, now that I'm in my 30s, I really see that most people are living their lives on autopilot mm. um, because it's safer and it's yeah, comfortable. It's to protect themselves because they don't want to deal. Yeah. It's painful. It's very painful. That's why that's why the films that stick out to us are the ones where we see something that is tied very closely to who we are. And that's the trick. If you're smart, you'll you'll begin to question yourself and you'll begin to go like, why, why do I relate so heavily to this character? And it might help you find some kind of, you know, like therapeutical answer, but most people don't. But that's what I love about art. That's what I love about art. I love the give and take and it's just, it's a, it's a moment of empathy and just universal sharing. And, um, and when you come from that light, when you come from that feeling, that depth that you just explained, like how you look at everything and how you've been, what is it called? Trauma-induced uh, therapy? What is it called? A trauma-informed. Informed. So it's, it's, it basically means your trauma-informed practice. It's like you can, your trauma-informed practice, you're a practitioner. So it's like you basically know how to deal, yeah. um, but specifically for teaching artists. So you're an artist that teaches. Okay. And this is something to do with using your authentic voice and uh, things like that. It's a mix. It's a mix. If you're, if you're trained in trauma, you know, as a practitioner, it's more about, um, again, like, trying to see the signs, trying to enable other people to express themselves creatively, but in a safe space, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to send a student, if you're specifically children, specifically children who, you know, are coming from problematic backgrounds, right? Mm -hmm. And you ask them to say, hey, why don't you draw this painting about your home life? Mm -hmm. And what if their home life is extremely damaging, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. then you're putting this child through immense psychological trauma in the moment. Mm -hmm. But let's say you see as a teacher, you see that this, mm -hmm. this, this student has a real gift. Let's say they're a fantastic painter. So the mm -hmm. question is, how do I get this child? How do I empower this child and make them feel safe and yeah. special and wanted and appreciated for their art, but also do it in such a way that's not triggering and damaging to them. And so that's why it's, it's I, you know, personally, I feel like trauma-informed practice should just be something that exists everywhere, whether you're in the arts or not. Definitely, yeah. Because it would help people just be a lot more empathetic in workplaces if they see that, like, you know, this is different things are true. Because we don't walk into rooms as, as you know, as an attorney, you walk in as a human being first and foremost, but because, especially in the corporate world, because we've been conditioned to be a certain way, we walk in as just, we, we're, we're continuously told to leave our personal shit outside. We're yeah. continuously told to like, now you're in the meeting, so be professional, <laughs> you know? And, and anytime you exhibit any form of uh, emotion, whether you're male, female, or non-binary, it's considered weakness. It's considered extreme weakness. So again, with artists, we kind of take it, take it as a given that the best art comes from vulnerability. So if I'm going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone and be vulnerable, then I'm, this is a huge ask. This is a huge ask, especially for guarded yes. children. 
Definitely. guarded people, you know, it's a it's, it's an, it's not an easy thing for me to ask, but if I can see that Saliha is talented, she has this hidden talent. I can see she, she just needs the right atmosphere. She needs to feel safe. She needs to feel loved and she needs to feel uh, protected. Then I can see Saliha grow and flourish. Um, mm. And so, so that's what it's really about. It's about just being able to make our students and the people around you just feel good and safe. Um, and I, one other thing that I really like about the knowledge of this is that um, there's also a lot of empathy for the teaching artist because again, like they keep telling us, it's like the term is teaching artist, which means you're an artist, mm. which means you walk into these rooms, you don't have the the training of say a surgeon. A surgeon has been trained in a certain way to walk yeah. in and shut certain compartmentalize, right? Yeah. Yes. But artists are not given that training. We come in with our feelings. Yeah. Right? Whether yeah. that's whether that's, you know, the sunny auntie poppy type that just gives everything or yeah. or it's somebody like me who's who's otherwise very guarded about her emotions and lets it come out in these different ways. Mm -hmm. You know? And it, it acknowledges your humanity first and foremost. It acknowledges that you're a human being and you're coming in with all these things, um, which is, yeah, it's, 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 it's a tricky thing because we expect vulnerability of artists, but then we want to package it in a way that is, it, it's, it's, it, it's tricky. You know, I, I understand it from yeah. a commercial point of view, because if, especially if you're in an industry that yeah. needs professionalism and packaging as an artist, you mm. need to know when to turn it off and turn it on. Mm. Um, mm. But when you're dealing with children, it's a very different thing, you mm. know, because they, they don't know this, you need to find ways to bring it out of them. Wow. So that's what the practice teaches you about. Wow, that is so interesting. I was always interested in how, you know, uh, we can deal with our trauma at the same time, be able to tell the stories. And I, I love this, uh, how you said that people are not able to say what they actually really, really feel. And for me, I think it's mostly also to do with all the beliefs and the thought processes and all everything that we're taught over time as to this is how you think, this is how you think, this is how you think, and then you start thinking like that. And then the experiences, the external, the, the internal, uh, it's also the observer viewpoint, right? Like how we look at the world, like from our lens, right? And I love this about you. There's a lot I can say about that part, but I love this about you that we have this common uh, filmmaker sort of uh, connection where we look at things somehow similarly in that aspect, like, you know, think about things a lot on those aspects. Uh, and I loved how you shared all that because uh, I couldn't have said it any better. And this is it. This is it with my films too. I've always wanted to bring out that human uh, plea or whatever I understand is happening within like the subconscious mind, what's being, you know, and that, and that, the fact that emotionally, like we as human beings, we, if you think about it, we all go through the same thing. It's like we all cry, we all go through pain, we all go through trauma. And, um, and also, as you said, trauma, uh, uh, people tend to think trauma has to be something like, oh my God, somebody died in your life and then you couldn't get over them or a divorce or something. Like mm -hmm. traumas are like these little things that our emotional body holds on to like this, like this. And, and it can be any little thing that, that yeah. shakes you. Right. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's literally, again, we have to remember that in terms of the way the human mind has evolved, we are, we're not actually that far in terms of, biological evolution um, from like our Neanderthal ancestors. We've evolved some, but we haven't evolved so much. 
um, in terms of just general biology and just, you know, so our body's responses still kind of first and foremost, that's why we know fight and flight is like the go-to because that's what the Neanderthals did. We haven't evolved from that. So our body even today knows that it needs to respond with certain hormones, with certain, you know, with certain like, you know, basic, you know, just like stressors or, or ease. And, and, and that comes down to just, you know, are we safe? Are we not safe? Yeah. Yeah. And if we keep reinforcing that from a young age, then again, we are just used to this. Like I often tell people that if my, if my body is conditioned to stress, which it is, you know, but if my body is conditioned to stress, if I'm at the age of 32, if I'm actively trying to de-stress, mm. I can de-stress for a while, but because my body is so used to it, it will try to find something to stress itself out with because your, your body is continuously trying to stay in a it's in in stasis in norm in normalcy to whatever is normal to your body and that's so unique to you it, it because of your life and your upbringing you know if 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 saleha has a neural pathway where every single day she tells herself she's fat every single day and if she's been telling herself and, and and fat in a derogatory sense because now we're trying to change that narrative as well there's nothing wrong with being fat but in the sense that if it makes you feel less than if you've been made to feel like you're less than you're not worthy or you're ugly right so if 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 you have a neural pathway that you've been walking on every single day to make you feel like you're not worthy because of the because of your body weight or your body shape then you today will still, your brain will try to find a way to reinforce that. And that takes a really long time. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of conscious effort um, to change that. And most people, frankly, just can't because it's tiring. It's a lot of work. And um, it's just, it's just too much. It's just way too much to try to deconstruct. And I think a lot of that is also tied very heavily to our ideas about ourselves when it comes to religion, when it comes to culture. There's a lot of things that we can't let go of, not because we're not because of the fear of God, not because of whether we're going to heaven or hell. We can't let go of our culture and religious, um, cr- uh, you know, um, uh, what's the word? Cl- crutches, I would say, because they're so heavily tied to our identity and the identity was structured in terms of your brain it was structured the day you were born because of what was reinforced by your Mm -hmm. parents and your culture that we if we if we start questioning it or ridding ourselves of it um we just think that the entire world is going to shit like our entire our our entire sense of ourself dies you know um and that's where the that's where the ego comes from i always laugh about the ego because the ego i feel like your relationship with yeah. your ego, your ego puts you number one. Right? Mm. I always say there's nothing wrong with the ego. You just need to know mm. what's you and what's the ego, right? The yeah. ego should not control you. You sh- The ego should be a tool for you. It shouldn't be the other way around where the ego is on top and is living out through you. I think like, I often, I think um, I had this like, idea like a billion years ago I think I was like 17 or something and what basically happened was I just kind of woke up one day and it felt like I just woken up and I was like I was having these thoughts like I thought they were my thoughts 
you know, like about myself and about things and about the people around me. And I thought it wasn't, these are my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what happened. It was like, I was able to kind of remove myself from them and turn around and look. And then when I turned around and looked, it was like, oh wait, that's just my ego speaking. And then my ego, my ego, because of the fact that like it had never been separated, right? Because for the longest time it was just me, right? Because you think that it's protecting you, making you what you are. So you think it's just you. Mm-hmm. but for the longest time like it I just thought that was me and then when I was able to separate it it felt like my ego looked wow. at me and was like yes oh shit you found you just discovered this thing yeah. you clear know? off clear off, off he's like whoa yeah. yeah and 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 it became like this interesting conversation between yeah. myself and my ego where it was like okay I'm not gonna hate you I'm <laughs> going to I'm, I'm gonna thank you okay thank you you've protected me thank you, you as my ego, your number one job is to protect me, to make sure that I'm looked after, you know, and I thank you for that. Thank you for putting me at the forefront of your struggle, but you're not me. I'm the one that's supposed to be in the driver's seat, not you, not you. you know? And that's why I often say it's like, the ego is a very useful thing, but it's, it's in not- terms of psychology, like it's there to protect you and make sure that you're, you know, but it's not it's not you, you, you are you, and you have to separate the two. And I think that like coming back to our views about, you know, culture and religion are ego. That's why like when you see people flare up really quickly, how dare you say this? My family, you know, all this stuff. It's like that flare up of just, these labels the ego is like these labels that i have attached to myself it's my armor it makes me what i am it's like these badges that they've collected you know to find and i'm just like (laughs) and you must have seen plenty of it in your life plenty absolutely (laughs) absolutely i just we we, our entire life is about labels and you know what labels we've that have been thrust upon us and mm-hmm. i just made a conscious decision one day that i want to be able to decide which labels so i don't particularly have any serious like i i often joke like i'm not the like I, i'm not very patriotic or nationalistic i love pakistan but like i don't really look at it as like this thing that i have to defend till the end of time i just i love it but i try i try to think of like i want to be able to and this is this goes with gender this goes with you know everything i was like i want to uh decide the labels for mm. myself because mm. i just want to live exper- experientially and see what suits me and what fits and what feels good you know um versus yeah otherwise otherwise yeah the ego can be a big mm. uh it can be a really big funny driving force Um, that will that will just take over and I think most people and I mean I'm I'm a human being obviously there's it's not like I'm perfect I'm always like slipping into it and you know again because your ego is ancient right your ego is ancient it's been there since it was there the day you were born to protect you you know right um 
And the so moment it, you in that mode where you said, right, where you disconnected and you said, hello, ego, how are you? Like, you know, yeah. when you do it in your videos too, like this is the Shahana with the ego and this is the Shahana without the ego. It's like, hello, my ego. Like you're talking to yeah. your ego. Yeah. The more you wake up in the morning and whatever moments you have in the day where you have that self-realization, where you have that observer mode on, where you realize yourself as just not the human being who's doing this and this and getting all these hits on Instagram or, or like getting appreciated at the acting place or whatever like whatever we do right we get out of that and we get connected within like this is what you said happens in meditations to people so for you it happened at a very like natural state of like being. i said right? accidental accidental <laughs> and people have told you many times this which means that as you said in that video that you had record uh, i had watched on your instagram where you uh, spoke about your mother as a miracle child in the end you talked about how we are very powerful as human beings and when you saw i think this is what i understood from it when you saw your mother taking that power in her hands even if her job description didn't match it but her inner growth matched it you were so happy and proud to see her like this which means that even though you had a mother you were pretty much being that shahana like for them for her the way you are being for the, being that shahana for the children now uh what what you're doing for them with their trauma right so you as i said it's all building and the way accidental spirituality worked for you is the best way to be we all have it but not many of us get into it no one and that it's, it's the power that it's a muscle you build it's a muscle yeah. you recognize it's it's with anything everybody has confidence everybody has everything as you as said with ego you said don't like put it in one place and just demonize it like oh bad yeah. ego so there's yeah. no bad and good and the more yeah, power you give it to give to it by yeah. calling it bad, bad, then it gets power. Same thing with Nazar, which they call the black uh, evil eye. So evil eye and everything that is in our cultures is because people give focus to the thoughts of other people. So why not yeah. work on our own thoughts? And I love how you said uh, funny ego would drive, like you used the word funny for ego. You didn't say or hard or like make like this thing in your head. So you've been very vulnerable with yourself and you've done, done a lot of self work. And as you said, accidentally getting into all these things, right? Yeah, I think the first time, like, or one of the first times, I I remember I was, a, I just, you know how like when you're about, I think I was like 16 or something. Um, you know how when you're about to go to sleep and you're in that state where you're not asleep, but you're not awake, you're just about to drift mm -hmm. off. And your brain has, uh, yeah, and your brain has a tendency to replay the day, right? Yes. Like as you're going to sleep, like you're going like, you're, it's happening. It's, it kind of feels like your brain is storing the memory. So it's just replaying the day. Yes. And I just remember one day or one night I was going to sleep and uh, I saw myself um, just replay the day. Okay, I saw, okay, Shahana went here, she went there, she went and she was at work and she's cracked these jokes at work and she did. And then I just remember just, I stopped mid, like I pressed pause on the replay. And I realized in that moment that I had no idea who that person was. Cause I realized I was like, I was like, I don't, this person like has lived a full day and I don't remember any of it. Like, I don't remember cracking those jokes. I don't remember uh, having that interaction. I don't, it's just, and it made me realize I was like, I'm, I'm living passively. You know, I was like, mm. someone else is in the, in the, in the, in the driver's seat. Yeah. 
yeah. you know? And I was like, this person is living. And then I was like, that's not me, you know? And that for me was very like, wait, no, tomorrow I'm going to remember everything. I'm going to live actively because I was like, I don't want to be just passively going through life. Um, and if you've seen that in your life, if you've seen people live passively and where they, you know, how much they wasted their years or things like that, you, you, you don't want that replay to happen with you, right? And that's very common to see. It's, it's not something that happens to a particular kind of people. It happens to pretty much all of us. It's about coming back and saying, whoa, no, whoa, no, 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 no. Remembering, 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 right? Yeah, it's like you have to try to find ways to live actively. And I remember once again, like I was 15 or something, I just remember uh, again in the middle of the night, I was looking at my hand. And then just in that moment, I just suddenly felt this feeling of just being outside of my skin because I was like, I just felt like my hand was like a glove. Like that was the first thing that came to my head. I was like, my hand's a glove. My hand's a glove. I was like, it's just a glove because I was like, there's something inside it. I was like, this is not like, and that's when I really started kind of like thinking like what everything that's outwards is, is just the, it's the vessel that you are in, you know, what's real is inside, you know? And I started imagining, you know, Um, again, this is, this is where the ego comes into play. And I, I started asking friends, I was like, okay, imagine like, you know, let's say you, you, you die tomorrow, you know, like, what would you imagine? And then you're like, oh, well, I, you know, I become a ghost or a spirit. And I'm like, okay, what does the spirit look like? You know? And they were like, oh, well, obviously it's just, it's going to be like a silvery wispy version of me. Right. I'm like, so, so it's going to look like you, but it's just going to be silvery wispy. You know, when you think of a ghost or a spirit and they're like, yeah, yeah, obviously. And then I was like, but what if I told you like, it, it might be silvery and wispy, but it doesn't look anything like you. It's just a floaty energy space. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that pe- every person will always ask is, well, then how do we know it's me? And that's the point because the, because the ego identifies with your form and your shape. And that's where for me, the turning point was that everything that I think the ego, our biggest struggle in life is the world of the manifest. It's about, it's about form and structure. It's about structure. It's about this. And this drives everything for us. I'm more of the belief that inside, when I say, you know, I know people say it all the time that inside we're all the same. I actually believe it. I believe that our spirit or our form inside is just a silvery wispy thing. And when we die, that's what we become. We go back to being this thing. We are formless, you know? And, and that's, and for me, that's kind of how I started looking at human beings. And it taught me a lot of, it gives me a moment to be empathetic with other people because if I now talk to you, mm. instead of coming to you with like, well, obviously Saleha is a beautiful woman. Obviously she'll get, you know, so like, you know, instead of looking at you and making decisions about who you are based off of what, what you look like, I always take a moment to go like, okay, Shahana, just remember that what's inside of her is exactly what's inside of me. Mm. And so when I meet new people now, I'm always fascinated because when I meet you, I don't look at you as like a different person. I look at you as you have what's inside of me, but you're just a different iteration of me and your iteration or your version. It, 
it's, it's like, it's a different version because of where you were born, how you were raised. And so I, I just find you fascinating then. Cause it's just like, it's like finding out that, oh, this is another version of me. It's just a person with a different vessel. Yeah. Um, and that actually helps me pause. It helps me pause a lot. And my husband often jokes, like I become empathetic to a fault, you know, because I have a way of humanizing even the worst human beings on the planet. Um, which is a discussion for another day, but I just, I mean, that's where I am. I, I just feel like it's, it's better and easier. I think our biggest struggle is not, uh, I don't think our biggest struggle is, um, it's like wars on, on faith. I think our biggest struggle is the challenge of dealing with what everything and everyone looks like. You know, because if if you look at it, we have built entire structures yeah. based off of the a few yeah. millimeters. It is literally the top layer of your skin. That is, we have decided faith, religion, power, status, yeah. everything comes down to that. And it's those are on the macro level. The micro level comes down to simple things like who has a fancier car, yeah. you know? Because the house we live in, the car we drive, um, you know, the, 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 the schools our children go to are direct reflections of where we've made it, you know, and that, again, is all the ego. The ego wants the fancy. It wants the bigger, the better, because it makes us feel like we are more. And I think that's the bigger struggle. I'd rather focus my life focusing on that and trying to remind myself that it's all just a facade. It's just a huge facade and inside we're all the same and it doesn't really matter. Um, but it's a struggle, obviously. I'm a human being. It's not like I'm, you know, I don't slip into the, into the manifest, but, you know. When we come to this world, um, there's, a, there's a whole theory around uh, this higher consciousness idea that comes from, to people when they channel these um, higher consciousness uh, beings or, as, as you said, the silvery, wispy part, uh, according to them, comes together in this collective that's there that's out there for us to maybe even tap into, some people can tap into those consciousness. So we become like this higher consciousness after we die and that's the idea behind it. So what happens is that when people channel these people, they give you all these goodies, as you said, like, you know, we are powerful human beings and your thoughts matter. And that's what it is. Like if we get into that consciousness today, like you are like that higher level of thinking, that higher self, you will come to the same ideas that my body is a glove as the, as the, the theory is that your body is a t-shirt, like don't take it. So when we come to this world, the idea is that we come as pure liquid love. And when we come like that, the rest is just things and layers that we put on, like the glove and the t-shirt and everything. And then we present ourselves to the world, just like our grown-ups did it before us, before us, before us. So the power lies within us, as you said, to change it for the rest of us. As you said, that way you reflect and you look at how your children will be, things like that. That is so important because you can break the ancestral chains where you think the chains are not working out, right? It is in your hands. For years and years of things are happening a certain way, we can do it and we have the power to do it. Same with age, as we were talking about at the very beginning. It's all about reverse aging now. When you realize that your ego and your body and everything is just like, even if it's visually aging, you can still get up in the morning and say, I can do what I didn't do at 18 and I'm doing it right now, right here. and I'm going to do it with all my heart and soul like the world is my oyster right that's right. what 
were not told. So I love all this conversation. We can talk for hours and hours. <laughs> it would never end, especially being Aquarians, which we have in common. If I would be sitting with you and I was not at the listening end, we would just be talking on top of each other. <laughs> because we're yeah. like, oh, so it'd be crazy. But what I'm going to do is come to the gratitude part of the podcast. And I would love to have you another podcast to continue this like maybe a month from now or three months from now just to see where you are at see where our thoughts lead us because this was also a very introductive sort of a thing where we haven't touched base in like so long we haven't even had like a you know this sort of like sit next to me kind yeah. of conversation i feel like i'm sitting in your lounge room right now. <laughs> birds can't stop chirping every time you start talking they go blah, 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 like <laughs> not what birds sound like but anyway i'm so used to this mimicking my children and that's the sound I i'm sure yeah i'm sure i know plenty of parents that's what they do best about your funny bone and how you uh got into that the next time we talk because that's a whole chapter uh and i i, I feel whenever i watch your videos just to let you know um is that it is because you understand the human condition and you understand the human plea and you understand humans at a code and you behave and look at them, whether you're a man or a woman or whatever, as that core self, then you bring it out as a, as a funny thing and you're, you're completely open about being vulnerable, even with your body, things like that. I love that. And it comes, it becomes funny because everybody can relate to it and yeah. it's funny because they don't talk about it and it becomes yeah. funny because you are telling their story and I love it. I think yeah. it is your most unique thing that's happening right now. Very well, unique. I mean, I, I always say that like, um, my interest lies between, you know, if, if, if you were to hear something funny right now, right, you would smile, right? And then at some point the smile has to drop, right? And it has to go back to neutral, yeah. right? I'm always interested as a storyteller, as a creator, as just an observer of life in the transition from this to this, like what happens in the middle, you know? And that for me is what drives me in life. I'm always looking for not the point A to point B. I'm always wondering like what's in the center of that. And that's where you'll find the awkward, the humor, the pain, the struggle, the humanity, the, the, the core, because this is where, where we live in the subconscious in the subliminal. That's, that's, it's like, what is happening between this to this, you know, that's what I'm always, that's where I'm just as an observer in life. If we're sitting in a public place, I'll be noticing like if somebody on the subway talks to the other person randomly, I want to know what happens when they break the silence or when they're done with the conversation. Like, how do they get back into Because yeah. we've been taught to be formal. Yeah. You know, we've always been told to present ourselves in certain ways. This is just conditioning when we meet people. So I'm always like, what's happening in between the conditioning? And that's where everything for me comes from. I love this, Shahana. It's, it's so enriching. It's so uh, soul warming just sitting next to you and talking to you, like even though you're not literally next to me. But it's just, um, I keep on going on and on and on about this feeling, this aura, but it's there. It's there. It's like this yes. feeling that I have with you. And I love it. And I know everybody, if they're listening to you and watching you, they would be feeling the same. Now, what the gratitude part is in formal words is that I do this power, power thought cards shuffle 
which I don't know if you can see. No, I can see him. Yeah. By Louise May, and she she does these lovely affirmations and talks about how to improve your life and very uh, connected soul. So um, uh, so these cards are very like these amazing, lovely illustrations. They have affirmations on them. So what I do is when you're sitting in front of me, I just intuitively pull out the card and I try to. <laughs> you can hold on to it, but I, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to take out meaning from any one of these. But I will pretty much say Shahana's name while I'm doing this. Nice. Uh, please give me a me give me a message for Shahana. What does she need to hear before she goes to bed? <laughs> um, what is it that she needs to hear in uh, in her time today in this world? A message for Shahana. So let's see what came up. Oh, it says, I'm willing to change. So wow. Okay. You can think about it. You can think about it. Like I will think about it. Yeah. I'm willing to I will think. But it has on the other side a little explanation. And I'll take a picture Ooh. of this on both sides and send it to you. And you can think in your own time. It says, I'm willing to release all negative beliefs. They are only thoughts that stand in my way. My new thoughts are positive and fulfilling. So that's what it says over there. Always a good one. Thank you that. It's always positive, these cards. So always I a good one. Yeah. Um, so lovely speaking to you, Shahana. Would love to have you over on this podcast again at another time in another dimension. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Probably we would have you know, reached another level and we'd be like, oh, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So nice. I this. loved it so much thank you for coming from all the way thank you yeah oh yeah. wanted to speak to you and this heart, yeah. heart. and I, I love bringing more women on because yeah. i'm getting a lot of guys and oh yeah to see that both genders uh into this right because yeah i mean maybe what would be cool is to do like you know to have you know maybe three or four people on because that's you can do that via zoom and then have a conversation between three people with very different points of view Yes, yes. Thank you. I love that idea. Take yeah. care. Have a good sleep tonight. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. But loved it. Thank you so much. I'm going to be thinking about all these lovely things you said today. Thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you. You take care. And if you would like to keep in touch with Shahana, you can do so by going on Instagram and connecting with her on Of Shahana Jan, which is spelled as O-F-S-H-A-H-A-N-A-J-A-N.